Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors Worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, moderator of Meaningful Conversations and convener of community. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. I'm so glad you've joined us. Welcome, Tamara. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, it's a pleasure to talk with you and learn more about your experience. I'm sorry that you've been plagued with the flu. <laughs> it's all right. It's life. <laughs> well, yeah. And I just appreciate you taking the time to talk with us um, and share your story. So yeah. you were diagnosed with MS how long ago? Um, 20. Well, I was officially diagnosed in 2013. Okay. But my journey with that, you know, it, it, it was many years in the making. Um, I first showed symptoms in 2011. It took, you know, three years or so to get, um, you know, a official diagnosis for many reasons. One of them being, I just, you know, <laughs> my, my journey is pretty crazy. So <laughs> just warning you, but, it's um, however you want to share it. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, I think we want to get to how you even came to find out about HSCT because sure. even with the diagnosis, some doctors shy away <laughs> from HSCT. Some doctors don't talk about it or they are afraid of yeah. it. They don't have all of the information. Yeah. I've experienced all of that. <laughs> Let's just say, you know, it, it, a, after getting that diagnosis was, you know, in 2013, I had, you know, I hadn't heard of HSCT, you know, what it took for me to get to HSCT and, and, and have it done was, you know, a crazy, you, you know, I know I'm on this roller coaster now, you know, of recovery, but I feel like, and I, I say this a lot, but I feel like I've been training my, you know, my whole life for this, you know, <laughs> so in a way with my disease, you know, and the ups and downs of my disease, I'm like, I'm ready to take anything. And that's what it's, that's what happened Sure, is, you know, after getting that diagnosis, I, I guess I was in this expectation that, oh, you know, like the floodgates were going to open as soon as I got this diagnosis and like everything was going to be wonderful, you know, because now I have this diagnosis and now there's going to be, you know, doctors coming to my aid and helping me and figure this out and I can do this. And so really, you know, that really is the way my mindset, but that didn't happen. And that was disappointing from the beginning, Sure, you know, that, yeah, I got the diagnosis, but then from there, it just seemed like, no, you don't, you don't have a lot of doctors on your side. Um, my journey has been, you know, when they, <laughs> when they say you're fighting MS, you know, yes, I'm fighting the disease, but a lot of that, I think for many people is fighting doctors, fighting the medical system. Mm, yeah. Navigating your way. Navigating. Yeah. Getting through it and, you know, understanding, well, not understanding, frustration that this disease is unknown and just the attitude towards it for me that was a lot of my experience i guess if you if you were to sum up 
my whole experience, you might say, you know, it, I don't know what the, you know, a, a catchy title would be for it, but, you know, falling through the cracks or just missed the, my chance or whatever mm. kind of thing. They, so, so I, okay, let's take it back to <laughs> all the way to 1992. Actually, that's what my, where my journey starts. Wow. Yeah. Um, ni- 1992, I was having headaches and um, MRI was actually back in 1992 was fairly new. It was a new technology as far as the hospitals that, you know, I was going to, um, you know, and so they were like, Oh, you know, have this MRI done, you know, we'll try to figure out what your headaches, what's causing your headache. And they didn't say much about the MRI. You know, I didn't get the report back at that time. I just, you know, I trust my doctor, like had him read it. And he was like, I don't know, but we're going to put you on this migraine medicine. You know, back then I just took everything, you know, doctors said I was very young. And then I was like, I was like, okay, I'll just go on this medication. Okay. No big deal. But then it wasn't until I started going to an eye doctor that he was like, Hey, you know, this MRI that they did for you, like last year, you know, that it, it, the radiologist actually says that you have lesions on your brain that look like MS. Interesting. And I was like, are you kidding me? Wait, they, first of all, they didn't tell me, you know, <laughs> like, why wouldn't somebody say something to me about that? You know, yeah. when the report came out that, you know, that was frustration, you know, and then to say, okay, what is MS? You know, I had no idea what it was back then. And I was, you know, so my husband and I both, and I had it in, and at the time I had a newborn, our, our oldest was, you know, had just been born. Mm. And so I'm, we're freaking out, you know, and we're thinking, what does that, you know, once we found out what MS was, I was sure. like, have a newborn, like, what am I, you know, so I was facing a lot. So we panicked for a little bit until, you know, I really didn't have any other symptoms, but headache you know, took a step back and just, just realized, well, okay. You know, and at, at that time we was like, I don't know. They see things on, on, uh, MRI on these, you know, on these imaging, uh, all the time, you know, that are not really, they're false positives or whatever, you know? So we kind of actually took it as, okay. And I literally, I, I probably blocked it out like as a concern of mine for probably 20 years. Wow. Um, Yeah because I had no symptoms other than the headaches. And, you know, you, I just dealt with the headaches and thought, okay, and went on with life. And, That's you know, amazing. I had, <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually considered that maybe a gift in a way that I didn't really hang on to it because at that time, even in 1992, if I had been diagnosed with MS, the, the choices in medication and care, I think were bleak, you know, mm. you know, so, I mean, they it wasn't, what is it? I'm not sure when these recent medications have come out, but I think it was right around 2010 that they had not, um, it wasn't until then that they started coming out with all these medications. They hardly had anything back in 1992. But so I'm actually kind of thankful for that reason that I didn't focus on it the rest of my life. I didn't worry about it because I was like, I don't have symptoms, you know, I'm good. And then here comes, um, you know, 2011, I wake up one morning and my entire, the ho- entire room was spinning. Mm. Um, and you know, like really just like, you know, when you get too intoxicated from, from alcohol, sure. um, I don't drink alcohol today, but, but, uh, but you know, 
that spinning. It literally, the room was spinning. And I was just like, okay, this is really weird. And, um, you know, then I lost eyesight in my, in my right eye for like three weeks. Um, and at the time I was, I'm a retired teacher, middle school teacher. And, um, thank you for your service. (laughs) Truly, truly. That's, That's, Actually, very nice of you to say. That's no, a nice. Well, I, I have, had never heard it like that. I have so that, it really much is, respect. Right? <laughs> yes, I have so much you know. respect for teachers and educators at all levels. But wow, middle school is—that is, <laughs> right. you are yeah. strong. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for saying just just that fact. But yeah, it's a, it's tough, but it was a very. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed sure, it. Sure, sure. But that yeah, that yeah, means you were yeah. a great middle school teacher. Right. <laughs> I I did enjoy my time with, you know, and, and I enjoyed and that, you know, that has shaped my journey, too, because I'm constantly curious, you know. Sure. And I I'm curious and, you know, and how and then taking that information and how can I help others? That's been a theme throughout my life. Um, amazing lifelong learners <laughs> sounds like yeah that's it lifelong learners that's and that's what they tell us you know teachers that's what teachers say a lot okay. lifelong learners yeah sorry total yeah. sidebar yep. but yeah so you were yeah. you had lost vision in your right eye yeah so I lost vision in my right eye um and honestly I was like I was I was very concerned but I was concerned for my job too you know at that time I was thinking oh my gosh what's happening to me I can be honest with you now, I didn't, I wasn't really honest, you know, with my principal at that time. Cause I was just like, I can't tell them I'm losing my vision. Right. You right. Know? Like, yeah. I can't just like, you know, so I was, I was very concerned for, you know, for what was happening to myself and, you know, and, and at the same time getting stressed out about it, which I think that doesn't help. It doesn't help at Correct. all. You know, stress can. So, um, anyway, you know, so, my vision had come back. They had diagnosed it as uveitis, which is, you know, the, the telltale um, symptom for MS is something called optic neuritis. Right. They um, didn't diagnose it as that, but they had years later, you know, retroactively like diagnosed it as optic neuritis. Hmm. So they said, no, we were wrong. You yeah. know, <laughs> we were wrong. Good yeah. Catch. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but see, that's, that's where the theme of like, I just missed it has happened to me several times. Sure. It's just sort of like mistake then led me to not be able to get the treatment on time. You know? So when these medications came out, I was very excited about it, but I wasn't diagnosed yet. So the, so they would not prescribe me the, the, uh, disease modifying, um, drugs at the time. And I was frustrated, you know, I was like, I was like, are you kidding me? So you think I have MS, you know, there's, there's all these signs to point that I have MS, but because, you know, my doctor's like that there's, there's something in MS called the McDonald's criteria. You familiar with that? I am, but for listeners who may not be, why don't you run through it? Okay. So the McDonald's criteria, and it has evolved over the years with, you know, with MS, um, in how they diagnose MS. So we get lesions and that show up in their MRIs, um, on our brains and, and our spinal cords, but the McDonald's criteria 
and I don't know the entire history of it, but it is the criteria that they that they use to diagnose um, people with MS. And one of the rules at that time in this criteria was that you had to have you know lesions on your brain or spinal cord. But then in the space of time, they would need to do like two different MRIs or multiple MRIs and see that you got a new lesion right, in that enhancing. space of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enhancing, right? So, but I was not enhancing at the, in that space of time, you know? And so they were, you know, they, they said, yeah, you have, you know, I think at that time it was like 15 plus, you know, lesions throughout your brain. But you know, and, and I know you say that, you know, you, in the, in 1992, they, they mentioned it, you know, um, but we can't find those records, which was another problem. They lost my records from 1992. So what that would have done is if I had that previous MRI in 1992 and 2011, if they had compared it right there, they would have, they would have said, okay, you have MS. Right. But because they lost those records in 1992, they didn't have that to match it to the McDonald's criteria to diagnose me, yeah. which held me back from having any DMD, uh, you know, um, treatment, which at the time I was just like, are you This is just crazy, you know, and this is crazy. You know, I, I now, and I look back at that and I'm, you know, um, now that I've had HSCT and my feelings about DMDs have changed. But at the time I was just like, this is, this is nuts because it's just like you, because of this one little, you know, piece, I am, I went three years without treatment, three years of where my MS was, was able to thrive. My MS got the upper hand right? because of that, but they changed, they've changed the McDonald's criteria since then. So you didn't start any DMDs? None. They would not. He refused to uh, prescribe it to me. And, you know, this was a Navy doctor. So my husband, (laughs) my husband served over 20 years in the, in the army. So a lot of that has to do with, that's why they lost the records. That was the military for you. And the constant moving from, from place to place, you know, of course those records have to follow you. Sure. Um, I mean, that was, you know, that was one of my crazy wild, you know, things that happened to me because the doctor, I I wanted him to find those records. I was like, if you could just find those records, you know, find those records, what can you do? I mean, I've been to, we've been to all these different bases, you know, can you, you know, try to help me? Right. I mean, I think he did try to help, but you know, I, I don't know. I mean, what it took was me actually finding them. I found the records. Oh my goodness. Good for you. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Good for me. But that's what I mean by like these things, you know, MS is not what it appears on the surface. And we are, when I say that we're fighting, we're fighting a lot of this, you know, because it's an, it's virtually an invisible disease. Yes. uh, Like many others, but it's also misunderstood. Very. And, um, you know, and, and so I'm surprised that I've had, I've had a lot of experiences where I feel like even my neurologists misunderstand it, you know? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Know, and, the, depending on the doctor, right. And depending on the individual and the symptoms presented, the checklist they happen to use that day, you know, you may or may not meet the criteria right? to get a and diagnosis. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's crazy. I mean, when you look at that McDonald's criteria and you look at like, are you kidding me? That is one of my um, big, you know, moments. Aha. You know, when I decided I was getting HSCT was that I would, it, it had dawned on me, you know, all these years of having MS and then it dawned on me is like, ah, why is it that our disease is based on getting more damage. Like for them to help you more, you must get more damage. Right. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I do. I mean, I do because I, I don't know that it's a matter of necessarily reversing what I'm experiencing, but rather healing. And so mm -hmm. trying to keep that positive mindset, but also trying not to dwell on the aggravation of the years of non-diagnosis right and so Mm -hmm. you finally how many years are you out how many years are you out from post-transplant two and a half almost two and a half years okay so I was October of 2017 Mm. so April April will be two and a half years okay wow so I I didn't find out I don't think I've ever even heard of HSC and T until I think I I was just thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, I think it was 2018. Yeah, early 2018 is probably when I first heard about it or I was thinking about it. It was still, it was on my mind. So you get this Um, diagnosis in 2013 and then they're resisting even putting you on DMDs. So then what what happened between then and HSCT? Yeah, so... (laughs) I find the records, you know, aha, uh-huh, you know, I, 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 it took me, you know, calling every base that we had ever lived on and every like medical clerk that I could, you know, get a hold on the phone, you know, it turned out that somebody, and this is human error where they, you know, so watch out for this. I, I try to tell every, every medical clerk I ever, you know, get to talk to or whatever, um, because it, it took, it was human error. So it, what it happened is like in the military with your records, your medical records follow with you every, you know, base that you go. And um, they, so they, but if your records get too full or they get too, you know, they, they have a certain limit that they will take oh. part of your records and they will retire them. They do something called retiring them. Okay. They store them in a warehouse, you know, somewhere. Um, I think it's St. Louis. I think it's where there's a warehouse in St. Louis and they store your records and they're called retired. So they put them in the, in the computer as though, okay, so it'll read, okay, those records are retired. So that's what they were telling me. They're retired. They're retired. Those records. So anyway, it took me actually calling, um, this medical clerk in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, that I would call and I'm like, just, just go check on the shelf. You know, let's, you know, I want to check everything. This is very important. She comes back and she's like, your records are here. And that was like eight years ago. That's amazing. Right. So they had been sitting there anyway. So once I found the records, I, you know, proudly brought them in to my neurologist and thought, okay, great. You know, and that's, it was all that buildup, you know, and I was just thinking now somebody's finally going to help me. Right. Somebody's finally gonna, I'm going to actually, you know, have that, you know, that doctor that's gonna, you know, really help me beat this disease and, and, and fight it and that. And I never, I don't think I ever had that experience. I, and I will say that, that I felt that way when I was in Mexico, though, that's the first time I ever had that experience mm. of really doctors being on my side. For HSCT, you mean? 
Yes. Yeah. Right. So when I was in Mexico with with um, with HSBC in um, in December, that was the first time I had ever had that feeling with my disease where mm. doctors really were fighting for me. Wow. You know, so that's over almost 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Finally, so I'm glad you finally had the experience. <sighs> yes. I'm sorry. You too. had to go to another country to get it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's, that's interesting, too, though, because I don't, I'm not sure that I would have had a, honestly, I, I mean, it's actually another gift, I see it, because I don't think I would have had it, I might not have had it, you know, Jen, I don't know, honestly, I don't think I would have had it, because it took, you know, it took that disappointment that I was not going to get it in the US to motivate me to do the do the work to get it done in, in Mexico. Sure. So you just figured you would not qualify for the, no, the um, study. The way, no. So what happened? So yeah, this again is along that theme of, Hey, just missed it. Just or Hey, shucks, it. you know, mm. just missed it. Yeah. Because, okay. I had applied for Chicago in, I, th- I think it was early 2018 you know, got all the criteria and everything. And I actually, I got a couple callbacks from the, from the nurse there. And I think the hype, you know, like there's a lot more hype about HSCT now than there was. And I think that at that time the hype was just, or it was before the hype and it was just like, okay, I'm just doing this. It's a clinical trial. So I applied also at that time though, I was going through a lot of symptom, like I was having crisis with they were trying to figure out uh, my glossopharyngeal neuralgia. My ninth cranial nerve had damage that was excruciating, excruciatingly painful. It took them 10 months to diagnose that oh. and get me treatment for that after, you know, and that was, that was 2017, 2018. And that actually, I mean, that, and that was a pretty crazy time for me as you, I know, you know, but I'd, I'll share with the listeners. Um, I, I'm a, a cannabis advocate as well. And that was the started my journey with cannabis as well, because my glossopharyngeal neuralgia was the, I would say that's my top, top symptom that that is the very worst what symptom was that I've like? ever had. It's just your nerve. I mean, your, okay. So your glossopharyngeal nerve runs underneath the left side of your tongue to, um, under your tongue, down your throat, and I, I'm not sure how far it goes down into your chest, but I feel it, you know, in my chest. But it's just a, you know, that nerve, that neuropathic pain, you know, and constant throbbing and burning in your throat mm. kind of feeling. Horrible. So, yeah, so it's, it's um, many people may have heard of trigeminal neuralgia, which right. is, I believe is your eighth cranial nerve. So I kind of, when I describe it, I like to reference it to, to that because actually in you know trigeminal neuralgia tn has a nickname as the suicide disease mm-hmm. because it's so so um you know overwhelmingly you know painful yeah painful and that's more in so, like the jaw and behind the ear right yes mm-hmm. right right so i mean i i don't know it, mine is pretty i don't have tn but right but i can't I imagine mine's pretty painful well yeah i cannot imagine that pain being under your tongue and into your throat where you really like a lot of people with MS struggle with swallowing, but I think that's different. Mm. I think that's a reflex and a muscle weakness, right? right? This is yeah. well, who knows? Yeah. Nerve pain. Yeah. 
nerve pain. Right. Mm. And so, and yeah, and it was constant, you know, going to specialist after specialist for 10 months straight, you know, and nobody had any idea why I had this pain. Um, no I one think associated it, it with your MS? No. Well, they did, but they were like, but nobody, you know, and that's another thing about MS is like, like and part of my journey is like, you know, you go to your neurologist and they're like, yeah, you have MS and, you know, here's, you know, um, here's the treatment for that or whatever. But they want to send you to all these specialists, but these specialists seemed almost like, like they're afraid to say the word MS because mm-hmm. no, we're not the expert in that. Your neurologist right. needs to say yeah. that, <laughs> you know, and it's constantly like you go to the ENT and, and he's the, you know, he's the best ENT with all the, you know, with all the, you know, certifications there are, you know, that he could definitely make that diagnosis and say, and actually confidently say that it's re- related to your MS, but nobody would do that. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that was crazy. That was a crazy, and that's always been a crazy thing, you know, fighting doctors, because it's just like, you kidding? Like I'm coming to you for help, you know, and you can't even tell me this, like it's, it'd be easy for you to just say, yeah, this has to do with my MS instead of just saying, I just don't know. Right. Right. (laughs) You know? Um, so it's enough to like, I know I have MS. You're not gonna, you know, disappoint my feelings. Right. (laughs) I already know, you know, know, so that was my number one symptom. That was my number one symptom. And after HSCT, I have kind of promised myself that I, you know, it's still very early my number one thing is not getting progression. Right. Um, you know, the symptoms I've accepted that I had these symptoms for life a long time ago, you know, and if I, they don't go away, that will not, that won't change my game. Sure. You know? So you're so. very early because you just went through HSCT in December. Okay. Right. I mean, being newly home from HSCT and just two mm-hmm. months post transplant, yes, you're very early in the roller coaster of recovery. And I would say even up to two and a half plus years, you'll continue to see improvements, hopefully. But yeah, that's mm-hmm. not the goal of HSCT. It's just no halt progression. Yeah. I, I I want to ask you this. Do you find that like so many people ask you? Like they want to know now, yes. do you see anything? Are you better? Are you better? Like, yeah. So does this mean I you're just, all better? That's a little, that's driving me a little crazy. Just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> It'll continue to happen, especially yeah. like at two plus years, you know, people, some people ask me kindly, like, how is your health? And I say, you know, it's really okay. great. I feel really great. I've only been sick twice post transplant and I've had a sick lot how? of like with the flu or, or okay. A okay. So you have got, mm-hmm. gosh. Okay. So that's comforting to hear it from you because, yeah. Oh, thanks. It, no, it is comforting to hear that because I, you know, well, Dr. Burt did a great job as I was leaving Chicago of sitting with me saying to me, because I was very, very, very nervous coming home to a seven-year-old who was going to school every day. And how do I oh, wow. avoid the germs and how do I avoid getting sick? And he said, like, you have no immune system. It's normal to get sick. It'll take you longer to recover, but that's okay because that means your immune system is strengthening itself. Wow. And it's a good thing. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's a good thing to get sick. I mean, it's not preferred, right? But it's (laughs) it's almost a good thing to get sick and expose yourself to germs so that your immune system can get stronger. They said similar, similar things to us in Mexico. 
which, you know, was very comforting. I think, I think I, I could have used that information, you know, beforehand. And then like, you know, I need reminders too. They waited, they waited to the last day to tell us. So there was a lot of like, wait, okay, how does recovery look, you know, like, and I started having all these questions, you know, but it was the last day that, you know, well, one of the last days that they, they were like, um, cause they, we'd ask questions and they'd be like, Oh, we're going to answer that on that day. And I'm like, but I want to know now. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, but you start to, you know, my husband started doing this too. And while we were there, I started looking up, okay, what's my diet going to have to look like? What am I going to have to avoid? What we started really looking into that. There's lots of different schools of thought when it comes to that, you know, yeah, there are we were concerned because it started to look like, you know, um, what in their guide was seemed a lot more lax as compared to something we found on the internet about HSCT, you know, and these, this is the kind of thing, I guess, when that you do, you know, if you're going for medical care in Mexico, you're going to compare it to against what you might find on the internet. So I'm sorry, you know, like you want to, because you're just like, okay, well, you can't like, just I drive totally... down the street and ask, you know, <laughs> right? Exactly. You know, but we would see things like um, very strict diet, um, you know, diet restrictions after HSCT. And we were like, you know, we'd ask the doctors, but yours is, doesn't, isn't that strict. Why? And they waited to tell us until that, that day. It was very relieving to hear, though, their explanation was that, we we used to think that these it should be this strict but if you take these precautions you will be you'll be fine if you clean your vegetables if you you know and they gave us very simple steps on preparing food and what foods you can eat you know because i i i I had people scared me a little bit sort of like you're not gonna be able to eat anything but processed foods for a year and i was like no That was one of the things that kind of stopped me in my tracks at that time, too, because I had I had fully gone on the Walls diet. Mm. I mean, the Walls diet for me, like, yeah, it made me feel better, but I don't know if it, you know, it probably helped me, you know, but you don't really see the evidence. Right. You just know how you feel. Right. It might help reduce inflammation. Yeah. So then that's going to help you feel better. Yeah. So, but as far as progression, I don't know what it does for that, but when somebody... first told me they were like oh yeah afterwards you won't be able to have any vegetables at all and I was like oh my god my world's gonna come to you know crashing down no, that's because... not true thankfully no and it's not and it's not true so these there's lots of those things I've learned um it you know and, and the doctor's saying you know hey you know it's not as strict as as a lot of people say on the internet about the after um HSCT yes we used to think it should be that way. But, you know, and I, I think maybe those, what you see on the internet, a lot of that old research, you know, misinformation or whatever, you know, so, but it's not as strict and I, I know what my, my diet is and, and I'm, I'm happy with it now. So what Um, does it look like? I can't, um, right now it's very bland (laughs) to be honest. I had to stop eating meat, um, altogether. You know, I mean, not even, not even chicken, not any fish either, because it was causing a lot of um, GI symptoms for me. Sure. But I've been, so since Mexico, I've, I do have 
an American doctor, uh, a hematologist oncologist at University of Virginia following me. So that's good for a blood lot work of people and have, yeah, because I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people have that concern, you know, oh, if I go to Mexico, well, are there follow-ups? That's a big question people sure. have. It's not in the program, you know, like, um, I, I guess, you know, in Chicago, you, you all have follow-ups, right? You right. had different follow-ups. So, you know, I knew that, uh, yes, that's kind of important to me. And some people have actually, you know, actually gone to Mexico on their own, you know, on their own dime and gone for a follow-up, you know, um, I decided, um, this was, and this was, I actually asked this this hematologist oncologist at UVA initially, if she would do it. And she agreed, she agreed she would do it. It ended up being, you know, insurance wouldn't cover it. And that was, I was so frustrated at that point. And that just, you know, that was right after the Chicago trial, um, you know, not accepting, um, uh, new patients. Okay. And... So you, yeah, you said you were in contact with Chicago and emailing mm-hmm. back and forth with the nurse. Did you ever go for an evaluation? So no, I didn't get to that point. So because what they she shut had the doors. Yeah. Well, well, yes and no, but, but she, when she started calling me, she was asking me, she's like, you, you, everything looks good. Um, you know, the only thing is I need to have a more recent MRI because because, you know, this, you have a couple MRIs here and yes, they show progression, but I need a more recent one. And it had been probably, it might've been, um, a year and a half or so since I had one. The reason for that was because I was going through all these symptoms. I had my glossopharyngeal neuralgia happening. And then I also started having all these, um, bladder issues. I had not had any bladder issues before that. They later determined that the trigger for all of that was the Ocrevus I was on. So I was on Ocrevus and that it had, was too strong for me Mm. and that it like had made me vulnerable to, so I'm going to back up a little bit because yeah. (laughs) but just my story um, from there is, so when they diagnosed me, you know, they gave me a couple of drugs to choose from at that time. And I think it was Tecfidera, Jelenia, um, and uh, Obagio, I think, yeah, mm-hmm. Obagio, and I think that that was it. They they had me choose between those three. They, Isn't like, that interesting? Like <laughs> going back to the conversation about doctors not really knowing. a lot about the disease. Like in my mind, why isn't that choice of medicine more dependent on our individual chemistry makeup and how the drug might interact with our bodies and our chemistry and our genes? Like for us to just be able to roll the dice and say, oh, well, that one looks pretty in the box. I choose that one because the person advertising it looks friendly. That's crazy to me. It is crazy. I don't know. And I know this is probably going to come out wrong. Maybe. I don't know. But it is a feeling I have. I've talked to people who have had cancer that feel the same way. But there's sort of this, you know, I don't know if you ever see some of the commercials on TV about cancer, like Mm. cancer treatments of America Mm. or, you know, or they'll have this or that. And then they actually get into the science of cancer and how specific they are about the different types of cancer and how they can treat that specific type of cancer that Mm -hmm. has this. And do you ever find like, I don't know if that's the right word for it, but do you ever feel envious of that? That it's like, why don't they do that with MS? Yeah. 
okay, so maybe somebody could explain to me, some scientists will tell me, yo, but it's just not possible. But I don't know my, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I am a patient. And I just, my gut feeling is that a lot of these things with diagnosis of MS and the way that our doctors treat MS is wrong. It's like misguided. Mm. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I, I feel like it, it's been that way because of what's happened to me, because it's just sort of like, it's like I said, you think that you're going to get this doctor that suddenly is going to like help you through this journey. Maybe I'm, I'm too romantic and maybe that, and that probably doesn't happen with cancer either. But I look at these commercials and I'm going, wow, wouldn't that be nice to have a doctor? They, like, cause they're like, you got this team of doctors, you know? And I never have had that until Mexico. Yeah. Never felt that. Never felt that. And, and I think that to me is very sad it's to say for our sad. medical community mm-hmm. and all it's the patients and all the yeah. patients out there suffering. Absolutely. That's, and I feel for that, you know, I mean, I, there's, there's my journey, part of my fight. And, and, you know, this part of my fight is helping others. I take my experience and I, I think about the person that doesn't know about HSCT yet. Right. Right. Um, and I think about it, I'm like, imagine, you know, how surprised I was and how much work it took for me to get to that point. And, and, you know, I mean, not everybody's as motivated. Many people right. are, are so trusting in the medical community. They haven't had those failures or, or whatever, or those mistakes happen. Like they've happened to me mm. that, like I said, it's like trained me for right. it. Yeah. So you it's found made me tough. Yeah, it has. Well, and resilient, right? So that you yeah, don't just right. settle into the new norm. So you find, how did you find Ocrevus if it wasn't one of the first options? Presented? So, yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, you know, and I was on Jelani for four years, you know, no problem whatsoever, right? No more lesions, just, you know, I was great until, um, until it actually, Jelenia ended up um, making my liver go into failure. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it That's was, what and you that need. Me. yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. No, but I, you know, I, I was living life, you know, I, I was doing great before that incident. That was probably the watershed moment really for me that, that the Jelenia had done that. They, they say now this is a clue to, to having your liver, a problem with your liver is that some people will get um, a pain, a very sharp pain in their um, right shoulder area. And that's what I had. It felt like I was like, I thought I was having a heart attack, but your heart's on the other side, you know? So it's sort of like, yeah, weird. It was, it was very sharp pain. And at that time, you know, I, I had been through so much already, you know, with MS and symptoms and things like that. But even my husband was sort of, um, funny about it. We, we laugh about it today, but it's funny because he's just sort of like, he didn't rush me to the hospital, you know, he didn't. And I didn't even want to be rushed to the hospital because, you know, m- many MS patients know you go to the hospital, they look at you like you have three eyes yes. and you're, you know, like, <laughs> we don't know what to do with you. We don't, And then you end up spending 12 hours there and it's a big waste of time. Have some steroids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe not even that, you mm. know, and, but so we avoid, avoid going to the hospital. He's just, I mean, it's fine. He, his, his strategy was like, just lay down, you lay down and you try to sleep tonight and we'll see what happens in the morning, you know, see if you, you know, <laughs> and, um, it if, was still there. If you code, <laughs> we'll be here for you. Yeah. 
right? You know? But it's kind of funny now. But, uh, you know, then I then I started having a relapse, you know, then it was I, or relapse symptoms, you know, my telltale um, symptoms are like, I feel like I have sunburn from head to toe, mm-hmm. um, all over my skin. Yeah, it's like itchy burning kind of feeling. And that's what started happening that next morning. Um, and then we went to the hospital and I, even then I thought I was going to do, this was the, the, you know, the boring, you know, ho drum going to be here 12 hours. And then in the end, they're going to tell me can't do anything for you. Um, but to my surprise, like five doctors walk into the ER room and they're like, yeah, we have to admit you. Um, and I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, your, um, your liver enzymes, you know, that your liver enzymes are 60 times normal range. Whoa. Yeah. 60, Ugh. six zero. <laughs> and I was like, and I never had it. I don't have, I didn't have any liver problems before then. And I was like, are, were you, are you kidding me? I mean, I just had a pain in my shoulder. What in the world is this? You know, yeah. I didn't know that that was associated with liver. Like you can have that pain. Some people don't, but, but I, I had no idea it would be my liver. Are you kidding me? Right. You know, out of the blue. And then, you know, I got admitted and, and then they, you know, they do their little pro- protocol of like taking all your medications away and then, you know, and finding out which one as they add them up, uh, you know, and watching your, watching your blood numbers and everything and figuring out what it is that caused that, you know? So they took me off on the medications had had, um, and my numbers started trending down and, you know, started adding on the ones that they thought were definitely not going to be, you know, the problem and eliminated. And they were down to, yes, it was the Jelenia. They suspected that. And wow. then it was the Jelenia. But isn't cold stopping Jelenia also dangerous? <laughs> probably I'm sure probably right but what are you gonna do when your liver's failing right you're gonna <laughs> hopefully yeah. save your liver yeah so I don't and, know I mean so, yeah but... if you suffer side effects like I said you're in the hospital if you code we'll save yep. you <laughs> wow isn't that isn't that the case I mean uh, and it's I'm sorry it was your uh, experience though that's yeah. just miserable so, so yeah, so then that, so after Jelenia, so because of that, then they made plans and that was just when Ocrevus came out, Ocrevus came out. They were just, they had just approved it. FDA had just approved it. Oh, and, and <laughs> that was like that. Yeah. That was March of 2017 or whatever. And it was like, yeah, you, you know, uh, you can, yes, you can go on this brand new drug, Ocrevus, and it's so great. And nobody's been on it yet. And all this. You know, my, my doctor was very proud. I mean, he was Navy doctor. And of course, you know, I was going to uh, Walter Reed hospital, you know, in DC here and supposed to have the best care possible. I mean, the president goes there, you know? Oh yeah. (laughs) So I'm, I'm like thinking, okay, we must know what he's talking about, you know, Ocrevus. And he, he actually was very proud because of his status or whatever, that he was able to get the first shipment of Ocrevus right after it, you know, was approved, you know, that's another one of the frustrations for me is that they'll say, they'll, you know, take these drugs that will be improved or or approved by the FDA, but we're still guinea pigs. We're still guinea pigs. Like they still don't know a whole lot about it. And that I was the victim of that with Ocrevus too. I think Ocrevus triggered my glossopharyngeal neuralgia and it, it triggered my, all my bladder issues too. Mm. Uh, it was too strong. The, um, 
the infusion, you know, the way the infusion works for, for Ocrevus is that you get the first dose, you, they split it up in two, two weeks apart. And it was one of my first, yeah, it was like the first infusion and then you go back two weeks and you get the, the, half, the second half of that infusion. And then from there on, it's every six months, you get a full infusion. It was those first two that I started feeling like that, that throat pain. I started every time they gave me the infusion and I was telling my doctor and I was like, you know, this is because he, he, he was very interested because it was a brand new drug. And of course they were like, oh, let me know right. anything that happens to you. I want to know mm -hmm. immediately. And it was sort of like, oh, I feel like a lab rat right now. You know, <laughs> like I would tell him, you know, hey, there's just burning my throat. But here's here's. Here's the thing. He he's, he's goes, he, he looks on the list of infusion reactions that they right. put on these drugs. And he says, oh, throat irritation. No, you're fine. It's okay. Mm. Don't worry about that. And then I got an upper respiratory infection. Again, that, that's one of the side effects for it. It's listed. As long as it's listed, my doctors, you know. Don't stress like, about it. Well, yeah, don't stress about it. It's normal for that drug, mm. you know. And, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And That's then so not it started too bad with a, of a side effect. You should just be mm, able to tolerate that. Sure. Just be sick. Like have, like you have an upper respiratory infection all the time. Yeah, no problem. But then, you know, that upper respiratory infection, it got so bad that I lost my voice. They put me on something that, that I think it triggered my bladder. Like it, they told me later, they said, oh yeah, this, sometimes makes you get a, a distended bladder. Like you can't, you have emptying problems. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Cause this was after then it became a real problem for me. Mm. Um, so my bladder problems, um, many, many people with MS, you know, and when you say bladder problems, anybody, they think, Oh, you, you know, you lose control of your, of your urine, but no. mine is the opposite. Yep. Mine's the opposite. I, I never had the sensation to go. So I started not having any sensation to go. And here I am sick with this upper respiratory infection. And I can remember clearly that that, you know, that, that night that I, my, I had to go to the emergency room because of my, my bladder being distended. And I, then I could not go to the bathroom at all. And my husband had to take me to the ER. And I remember I couldn't speak. I couldn't even talk. Right, because it's upper respiratory infection oh my getting gosh. my and I we're laying in bed and I'm going, I mean in so much pain, you know, telling my husband, I'm like, You have to take me to the ER now. I I mean I can't even go to the bathroom, right? I'm in so much pain. And you know, and so from then on it's a series of, Oh, well now we have to figure out what's wrong with your bladder and you know, the series of of having um catheterizing i'd never had to catheterize before then you know here i am catheterizing and then and then to find out that you know then i know this number is hard to believe but i had 11 11 back-to-back -back utis oh my gosh through that process you know but 11 11 Horrible. so that so think about my mindset at the time when this nurse is calling me from Chicago saying, Hey, you need to get another MRI. Like, so we can right. qualify you. Oh. And I'm sitting there. So, so you, you get the picture now. Yeah. I'm just sitting there like miserable and exhausted. going through all of this exhausted. And she's telling me, yeah, get another test. 
And at that time, I was just like, are you, oh, okay, fine. So I called my doctor. And because of all the workup that they had been doing for months for my, my different problems, he refused to do another MRI. Oh. He refused. Because he said, you've had too much. Mm. You need, you've had too much. I don't know that I would have qualified for Chicago, but I feel like I might have if I'd had that MRI. And maybe they still would have closed the doors, right? I don't know. Yeah, right. So then by that time, okay, by the time they closed the doors, I was already on Tecfidera. I was off of Ocrevus. I had been, you know, I had found, um, I had I had controlled my, you know, my bladder problems and my stomach glossopharyngeal neuralgia. But that also was the time that March 2018 um, was right about the time when I started getting involved with um cannabis advocacy because that glossopharyngeal neuralgia was so intense and it is such an intense pain and they have nothing Um, for it yeah no they don't and they tried and i had to go through the you know the gauntlet until you know and i had to try every treatment um including the scariest thing i've ever had to had to do where you know a doctor is holding me down on the table taking a huge needle to my neck you know and like, yeah, hold still while I put this needle right straight in your neck, mm. you know, and, and, and so none of that worked. I had to go through all of that because I, you know, that meant that then I could try this other treatment, you know, and then see if that worked and see if that worked. I was at an all time low when sure. when that that first conversation with that nurse, when a friend had um, had introduced cannabis to me. It was a life changer for me. It really was because I was at an all-time low, in so much pain, really had given up on everything they had given me for MS. And and then to find some kind of relief was life-changing for me. Sure. When when I found relief from, and at that time it was just CBD, you know, CBD wasn't even like it is now, (laughs) not at all. You know, it, you like literally had to, you, it, it was like getting, you know, marijuana today, you know, it, it was, was like, it was like black CBD, market. You know? Yeah. Cause yes. I, I mean, I've been using CBD G whiz since like 2015 and it uh-huh. was like, okay. I would talk to my doctor about it and she's like, well, how do you get it? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think about it now, but then I ended up, um, you know, I was so curious because, because this was CBD and I was finding some relief, but it's still very, and I started researching it and starting to find out, oh, maybe even full marijuana might be helpful. And I didn't, I didn't know all this about that. It was helpful for MS at the time. And so I did more and more research and then find out that, you know, they were treating it like it was outwardly, you know, illegal in Virginia. I was like, no, what? Wait. So I needed to be for me, my curiosity said I needed to find out who, because I heard that there were a group that was trying to get, get, you know, medical cannabis in Virginia. My curiosity led me to find those people, and I ended up joining them in our general assembly. And I'm I'm now a cannabis activist, and I have testified several times in the in our uh, general assembly. Happy to say that the you know that this year we're really making strides. We're we're light years away from what we were back in <laughs> 2017. Sure, they had done a special on and you know the, on the show Dateline on NBC um, a couple years before that. This group of women who moms who uh, whose children have epilepsy 
And so they were, you know, fighting for um, medical CBD, which we, you know, now this is way before Epidiolex and all that. And they were trying to, you know, get it legally for their, their children. Well, they had already gotten to that point, but just for epilepsy. And they were wanting to expand the law to other, other illnesses. And that's, when I joined them, that's when they, you know, welcomed me to testify because they were like, we want to expand the law. So you having MS and describing how it has helped you can help us, you know, that get this expanded for other patients. So I was like very willing to, to join in. And since then, I've been very involved with, with uh, cannabis advocacy. I even um, actually am a curator of a uh, nonprofit portrait um, exhibit. Uh, that highlights the uh, criminal justice side of cannabis. Right. Um, it's called Cruel Consequences, and we have a website, uh, cruelconsequences.org. Okay. If you want to check it out. And we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah. And so that but, nonprofit exists to. So it exists to bring awareness to people who have been criminalized for cannabis. It surprised me that beforehand, I didn't know the individual stories of what really happened to people when they were criminalized. It surprised me. So I felt, again, another one of these things where I, I felt like other people needed to know. And so I needed to do something about that. So this is, this is from Dateline, you know, what that did for me as a person to be able to um, speak my, you know, speak my mind and my voice and use my voice for bringing awareness to others. That's what it did for me. Sure. That experience of being on national TV and throwing myself out there. Like, I don't know. I mean, many people haven't seen it. They don't know me from it, but it helped me. You know, it helped me understand that you can make change with your voice. Sure. Well, and you're an advocate for other people going through HSCT, right? Exactly. So that's kind of one of my newest projects, I guess you will say. (laughs) So yeah, you're trying to raise dollars to help people looking to go through HSCT? Yes, that's correct. So I, I thought to myself, you know, it was, we had to kind of scrape together. Not, I mean, we, it wasn't, you know, we, we, we're very blessed in that we were able to um, put the money together. Wasn't totally easy. Um, The cost to go to Mexico and, and, and have to do that. My husband taking a whole, you know, month off of work and, and whatnot, but we were able to do it. And, but I, I, again, I think about those patients that have first, like at this moment, have no idea about HSCT. Right. And then, and then the fact that once they do find out, then they, it's cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. And besides the fact that it's not available in the U S and I know you can make the argument with the clinical trials, blah, blah, blah. But but it's, you know, it's cost prohibitive no matter what. Right. Right. And, um, you know, I, you know, I'm biased to, uh, Mexico, but in Mexico, you might say the cost of it is the least expensive. uh, If you compare them, you know, it's one of the least expensive, but that's not why I went there. You know, I mean, what really synced it for me was the testimonials of people who have been there. Mm-hmm. And saying that the care is so much different than what you would even expect. I mean, you don't get in, in the United States. How loving and caring the, the doctors are. You know, you think of most doctors in there. I mean, I know not every doctor's. There are caring doctors. There are very caring doctors. But I just 
I feel like our American system, there's, we're lacking in that we're lacking doctors um, when it comes to right. When doctors have 15 minutes to see a patient, there's very very little time there for care. There's yeah, there's, and it's just the care is not there, but I felt a sense of ease in, in Mexico where it's just sort of like, they were waiting for me, you know, like they wanted to know about me. I mean, one, so when you go to Mexico, you know, they, they set you up. It's just wonderful. They set you up. You're in a beautiful apartment and it's an outpatient program. So you're not in the hospital, but you're set up in this beautiful apartment that's run by the clinic. You get you, you, uh, you know, and included in your price is your food for the entire month. You get a cleaning person to come every day that sterilizes the entire apartment. I mean, they do a, a, a fantastic job um, sterilizing the apartment every day, you know, and you have drivers then that take you, you know, where you want to go at the clinic or, or whatever, you know. So it was just a very easy experience for, for my husband and I. And I was just blown away by the trust the trust that the doctors like put in me as a patient. So when you, you show up in Mexico, you get an iPhone with your whole schedule on it. It's all programmed with all the doctor's phone numbers and all the nurses' phone numbers and everybody. Right. And the first couple of days there, I was like, Oh, cool. I've got this iPhone. Yeah. But you know, I don't want to bother the doctor because you know, they're busy. And it's that, I think that's that American yes. medical community, you know, like yes. I don't want to bother the doctor, right. you know, but they started, <laughs> they started asking me, what's up with you? You haven't, you haven't called us. You haven't, <laughs> you haven't texted us with any questions. Why, you know, we need you to text us with questions. And I'm like, I'm just not used to that. I'm right. used to doing it on my own. Right. <laughs> I'm used to not having somebody really leading me in this. And that was a nice feeling. That was a wonderful feeling sure. to feel like somebody had my back. And, you know, as I've described before, I've never in my whole, whole experience in, in the, in the American medical community, have I felt like doctors, like I had that team of doctors that were on my side with this disease. Mm. But so I'm trying to help people. I feel like there, I mean, there are people that are going to find HSCT, but I can just imagine those, those patients that find it, they just finding it out. And then they find out that it's cost prohibitive. And right. then they give up and they have, they don't have the means and they don't have, and that to me is so sad. It's so sad to me to think about that scenario. So I, I decided um, that when I left Mexico, I said, you know, I want to help somebody, but I, you know, me here, I have my hand, like I'm, <laughs> I volunteer with so much. I'm like, I want to do something, but I don't want to, I don't want to say no, but you know what I can do? Maybe if I just help one person. What if, you know, so I, I, I kind of, and I posted this on social media at the time when I was thinking it, I was like, what if, you know, each of us, I know we're all going through our own journey, but what if each of us, as we had HSCT pledged to help one other person somehow, you know, define it how you will to help one other person get to HSCT that what difference would that make? And I Huge. think it's, you know. Huge difference, huge difference for that one person. And you can, you know, I, and that's kind of my mantra through recovery here is that, you know, I'm, I'm known to be a go-getter and I'm an, and I actually have to hold myself back. 
So I'm just, that's my way of saying, yes, I am trying to help somebody, you know, but I'm still taking care of myself. You know, sure. that's still not too much. Well, yeah, one person um, at a time and it's a great place one to person. start. You never yeah. know how, how big it could get someday. So I've, so I've pledged to help this person fundraise to get to, to having HSCT. Wonderful. Um, yeah. At that time that I was searching for somebody, I have found my somebody. Wonderful. Um, I found them. Um, they're not yet ready to go public with it, but, um, but soon I will go public with it and, um, we'll be, we'll be sharing, you know, our stories, um, and, and, and I think it's kind of neat. It's going to be, I, I, these, these kinds of things help me, you know, I don't know about you, but Absolutely. like when you help somebody else, when you're able to help somebody else with something you learned, that helps me in my own healing process. Absolutely. This so. podcast has been a huge part of just processing the, oh, I'll bet the that's, whole yeah, experience that's for you. Yeah. That's probably been your thing, right? That oh yeah. You, it's helped you heal, right? Definitely. Hmm. Well, and even sharing your story here on the podcast is going to help someone, hopefully multiple. Well, I hope ones. So. Yeah, I hope so. Why was it important for so. you to participate in the podcast? I, I had been, you know, your, your podcast, I had been listening to, and it was that, that was probably the number one thing that made me really, you know, go for HSCT. Um, I think it's pretty scary to think of this treatment, but what, what did for me was to hear like real people that had gone through it. Mm. That was, that was missing, you know, like, um, you can do all the research you want. And, you know, I have, I, I struggle because, because of MS, I have cognitive problems. I have reading problems. I, you know, so I don't get to read that much. You know, I, you hear of these people that have done so much research on HSCT and I have done quite a bit, but you know, I'm limited. So listening to your podcast was, was wonderful for me. And I ended up, um, I ended up um, connecting with one of your, your guests. She helped me talk to me, you know, for, for hours before and helping me decide. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's the point, right? Yeah. Build community. Can I do a shout out? I just want to do a shout out to Bonnie. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she was the one that, that helped me, um, you know, get to that point and understand. And it was, it was, that, that was invaluable to actually connect with a real person. And that's, you know, that's, that's the frustration I see on the forums that, you know, you can have all the forums, but this doesn't seem real until you really talk to somebody, you hear somebody's voice talk about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you get questions answered, right? And that's part of the motivation with the Talk to a Warrior program with the HSCT Warriors nonprofit we started. Yes. Talking with someone and asking questions and realizing this is a real person who had a real experience and learned something that they're willing to share that the snippets in social media just don't cut it. You get sound bites, you get a few sentences and you get the same people usually and you get right like and honestly yeah and you get the same people but then you know i can i can see both sides of this like on the forums sometimes people will get will get kind of snarky or they'll get you know if they've had hsct sometimes you know the they maybe they're tired of seeing that question or like have you know and sometimes people get let's be honest they get a little rude to newcomers you know Mm -hmm. and they're like don't you know this 
don't you know this already? Go to you the know? files section. Oh, but, but you know, I try to put myself in the place of that new person. And like, I remember what that was like, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't know a thing. And yeah, you want me to go to the files and you want me to search through all of these, you know, posts. Are you kidding me? Can't you just answer my question? Right. It's a lot of, well, it's a lot of reading. And for someone that's a lot of reading struggle cognitively. And then once you go through (laughs) HSCT, hopefully some of that clears up. Right. And so, yeah. So it's wonderful. Your, your, your podcast and, and your nonprofit, that was definitely the number one reason probably I had HSCT and actually went for it. Pretty scary, pretty scary to have something like this done. But then also go to a foreign country for Absolutely. it. And so it was invaluable. And then and that sold my husband too. Cause I knew that as soon as, I mean, I was convinced for sure. Right. But as soon as I could talk to my husband and he was convinced, I was actually pleasantly surprised because I thought it was going to take a lot more convincing, mm. but he was convinced almost immediately when he saw the science of it and that, and he was just like, well, yeah, of course. And, and I was also worried, you know, you know, there's no, we, I don't know if it's worked yet. You know, I don't know what the results are yet. And there's possibility that it doesn't work for me and that sort of thing. And I, and I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, that's not like, he's not going to want to do it. He's not going to want to spend the money on something. That's not a sure thing. There's no way he's going to be convinced of this, you know, but he was, almost immediately it made perfect sense to him he said yeah and then he said immediately after that he said so maybe it doesn't work for you so what we will we will have tried it yeah we will have tried it we will have ventured it and also that that falling through the cracks you know just missed it kind of theme comes up in that I was thinking to myself you know with the Chicago trial you know closing its doors you know I was thinking to myself but I can't wait not where my disease is. I can't wait because, because, you know, the course of this disease, it it doesn't take much for doctors to, to deny you for something. They're like, they categorize you and they say, no, you're not, you're not, you're not in that category. You know, you're not, you're not serious enough or yours or you're not whatever enough. Right. Right. But as not enough. Right. And as you experienced, you can go to bed one night and feel fine. And wake up yeah. the next morning and your whole world has completely changed. Absolutely. And, and yeah, we're used to that, aren't we? It's well, it's terrifying. Like that's the terrifying part of the disease and why you get to that point of like, I can't wait anymore. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't know if anybody's like, I, nobody's, no doctor has had ever said the word secondary progressive to me. Okay. You know, and for those listeners that don't don't know about MS, you know, there they say there are four stages. And correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, but four stages or types of MS, right? Is that the way you would right. say it? Yeah, yeah. So you know, and most everybody starts with relapsing remitting or you know relapsing MS, and you know that had been the only thing that anybody had ever said to me. But I started reading things like, oh, most people after so many years already transition into secondary progressive. But nobody had spoken the words to me, right? So then I'd, so not, then I'd read things like, well, okay, well, you know, I started saying, well, what is it that defines secondary progressive? I'm not sure I have a, a clear definition of it even today. 
you know, but I'd, I'd read things like, and I, and that had scared me. Cause I was like, you know, then you hear, hear, right. Dr. Burke would, would say, you know, he wanted people in re- relapse and remitting or yes, secondary right. progressive would be a deal breaker. Right? right. To me, I'm like, well, I don't, you know, if I would wait, okay. So maybe you might say, you know, um, the U S is going to approve it. And like, I'm going to be able to get it a few years from now. Uh, wouldn't that be a major disappointment to then wait that long and then find out there's something of those categories? You're too something. You're too old. You're too for you're too progressed. You're too this. And that disappointment, I didn't want to have that disappointment. Sure. And that's what got me on a rush to get it. Yeah. Because I was like, there's no way I'm not missing this chance. No, not after like, everything that you went through. I want to give myself the best odds that I can. Right. And, and I, I learned very early on in this disease that no doctor was going to do that. Mm. No doctor that I had was ever going to have my back where I had dreamed, you know, and they were going to fight my disease with me, you know, Mm. and we're going to find it. It's, it's very sad on the other side of it, as you know, probably very, very sad you know, you go to the doctor and it got to that point where, okay, I'd get my hopes up. <laughs> this is, this is crazy, but I'd get my hopes up. There's that, you know, wait, do you have a lesion and then we'll help you kind of right. mentality. Uh, <laughs> and when you look at that and you're like, well, the lesion is damaged. So you want me to get sicker before you'll help me. Mm-hmm. What? You know? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I had gotten myself in different points of time in my, in, in my disease where I was like, uh, oh, hoping for a lesion. Isn't that yeah. crazy no, enough to say? No, it's not. When I, asked, <laughs> when I asked my neurologist about HSCT, when I first found it, I made an appointment with her immediately and talked to her that I'd sent these emails to Chicago and based on my reports, they think I'm a good candidate. Have you ever had a patient that's gone through this? And she said to me, I have. Actually, I have three patients that went through it and, you know, you would never even know that they had MS. <gasps> and I was like, well, I really want to take a shot at this. Like, what do you think my chances are and what's your opinion? And she said, well, yeah, I mean, I say go for it. Uh, you may get there and he may tell you you're not bad enough because I've had that happen to some people where I've sent them up there and and he turned them away and said, you're not bad enough for me to help you. And so they were sent away. And so I don't know. I mean, are you bad enough? And at the time, like I was ambulating my left leg to walk properly, like already had experienced a lot of damaging effects of MS. And so in my mind, I'm like, I really hope I'm bad enough, you know, oh, but like, how is that, crazy. A, how is that a healthy mindset? And of no, course I got there and I was bad enough and I did have active lesions, but insurance wow. approved me. And then a week later changed their mind. And so, <gasps> uh huh. Wow. so then I had to wait. Right. And I waited like six months and went back to Chicago thinking, well, maybe, maybe I'll have new lesions and I'll have even more progression oh, wow. and I'll be even worse. And they'll be able to say, Yay! like, this is a medical Go necessity, lesions, right? Yeah. Well, and this is a medical Go necessity. Lesions. Let's have, you know, like, like roll the dice. Here we go. Let's have more lesions. Right. Hey, calling for more lesions. That's crazy. It is. Insane. It's crazy to think. 
It's crazy it to think that you're willing your body to get worse. But then <laughs> the thing for me well, was I got back and Dr. Burt said, you don't have any new lesions, but that's oh. a sign of the secondary progressive. Like that's, <gasps> a, that's a sign of you transitioning wow. and you need this treatment now more than ever. Oh, wow. Oh yeah. That's terrifying. Really? Well, that's actually, I mean, comforting is not the right word, but, right, right. but reassuring like, in a way, right. But re I guess in a way, because for myself, because I feel like I was kind of there too. And I, you know, that's one of the things that weighs in my mind now is like, yeah, I went and got this, but Hey, I might be in that. I might be in that category because nobody ever said the word secondary progressive. To sure. Me. You know, well, and I think that what I've come to figure out in all of these interviews, and I may not be correct, and I am not a doctor, but like Dr. Burt needed the perfect patient for his clinical trial so that he could measure the results that would present effective outcomes. That doesn't mean that HSCT doesn't work for patients with secondary progressive. It just means that it would look different in his data and reporting because in his mind, he was trying to get things pushed through for approval or recommendation as a standard of care. Now the FDA is never going to have to do that because stem cells, they come from our own body. We're in control of them. We just have to find the doctor willing to do the procedure. And so like patients with secondary progressive or even primary progressive MS, they find a resource in Russia and Mexico because they don't have those qualifiers for a clinical trial that they need to prove. Right according to a specific yeah. protocol. So here's what I find potentially like sad about it. And and I think that is a, that's actually an effect of the American medical system. Indeed. Because, but then they don't have to go through, jump through all those hoops. Right. You know, our doctors do. Right. And I think that also shapes how our doctors treat us too, because they're under the gun. They're under like so much scrutiny yep. um, that they have to prove you know, and I, I do, I don't know Dr. Burr. I've never met him, but I do think about him when I read about, you know, things about him. And I, and I do think he has a good heart and I, you know, cause there, there are people that criticize, close their doors or whatever. I'm, you know, I will say personally at first I was shocked and, and I actually was very saddened and I might've been very bitter at the time. There are a lot of bitter patients when that happened. Um, but I have since changed my thoughts about that. And I think, I think, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to apologize for feeling that way because I, I mean, I just told you my story in that, you know, that was very personal to me. I almost was in it, Sure. you know, and then to have that, that, that rug, you know, yanked from underneath you and no answers and nobody telling you anything and not, and just trying to have some hope for this disease. Yet that's why, that's why your podcast and, 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 uh, your nonprofit, it was such a blessing because, because to be in that state of, you know, with this disease and trying to figure it out on your own and then having to have closed their doors right away and with no answers. And imagine me in that situation. And all I have is the forums on Facebook Yeah, and that's crazy well, because sure. it's like I told you, people are snarky. Mm-hmm. People are snarky. They're, they're rude. And as they are, you know, we've got these keyboard warriors, right. Mm-hmm. You know, that are, you know, they don't, they, they can say whatever they want. And, and I mean, I think patients even, I don't know about you, but, um, 
many times I don't, I mean, that's why I've never joined a support group, you know, because I think patients, there are a good many patients that get into a point where they're very competitive. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know. You mean like the face-to-face support groups? Uh, yes. Yeah. Face-to-face support groups. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, I've never joined either. I just didn't want to, and maybe this is a misperception, but I, I, I didn't have interest in connecting with other people struggling with their disease or experience because I I was in my own struggle, right? Like I was doing my best to figure out myself and I didn't have space. I feel that. And I, I, I thought, I thought about that similarly in that I was just like, I don't want to be in a room of people just miserable. Like we're all miserable. And maybe they're not, maybe they're happy and maybe they're, (laughs) you know, like maybe they share strategies of hope and and understanding and compassion. And I don't know because I've never been. And, and actually a good friend of mine just recently invited me to a new group that's forming uh, in a local neighborhood. And that's oh, awesome. And, you. you know, I'm like, well, you know, maybe well, you know, I have thing space is, now. Like I have, well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, uh, at that point in my journey, you know, you're alone. So that's why your, 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 your podcast is a blessing oh, I'm so to glad. really have that real, real feeling, I'm so you know, glad. and I went, when I went to, when I went to Mexico, I knew that I took that feeling with me. And it's actually motivated me to help other, you know, do what I'm doing, helping other people sure. because I try to put myself in that, in somebody else's position. You know, online, when you look at the program in Mexico, it, it doesn't even do it justice when you, at, then when you go to see it. Sure. And, and I, if there was one, one thing I wish that, you know, um, clinical reason in, in Mexico would do is that they, and they don't have the manpower to do it. They, I know they would. They're just because they're super organized, but I think that they they could have a, a a better online presence, you know, to communicate to 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 patients and what it's like. Because I know that I got on, I did a lot of social media at the time, um, and I would post videos. You know, I'm going to do a video of me here. No, not many people, you know, they would post their journey like on a separate Facebook group that they mm-hmm. would make or whatever. And you had to go, you know, and then that goes on now. And there was a lot of, you know, like that, a lot of people on the forums were like, I would post my, I would post what happened to me that day or whatever, you know. And then I was getting, I was getting uh, suggestions. Oh, well, you should, you should have this all saved in a separate, you know, whatever place. But actually, to be honest, and I think a lot, um, a lot of those people post videos and stuff, but I put it straight on my, my social media, my, you know, main social media. And I was getting a lot of feedback, like positive feedback. I've gotten a lot of positive feedback by doing that because they're like, you made your stuff public, right? And these other things you have to like really search and find, right. you know? to actually go and see what happens, but you actually on your social media, you put that video like, um, uh, uh one, one person who actually just followed me. And I, I actually, it was kind of cool. I got to, I got to meet her one day as I was leaving, she was coming. So I got to meet her, you know, we had, uh, we had met online and then, you know, she arrived in Mexico and I was leaving. So that was kind of neat to meet up with her. But she had told me, she said, you were my lifesaver. She's Mm -hmm. like, I was so scared to come here. I was coming. I knew I was coming, but there was so much unknown. But, but the fact that you had been posting different things, 
really relieved me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that needs to happen. Yeah. And that's what you all are doing with the podcast and everything. You're, you're bringing awareness, you know, and we all have to do our part, right? Right. Well, and finding those connections and building the family. That's right. So what kind of advice would you offer to anyone? And you went to Monterey, right? Not to Pueblo? Correct. Yeah. So how was that different from Pueblo? Well, I mean, you know, I haven't been to Pueblo, but I, at the time, I really didn't, I didn't really have a choice because I knew that the timing for my husband and everything, we wanted to go in December. The only openings were in Monterey. But okay. I think that I was going to choose Monterey anyway. I think I was in this, I, I still hadn't made the final decision till I was on the phone trying to make it. And they were like, well, we only have Monterey appointments. So I had to make a, you know, a quick decision and say, sure. yeah, Monterey. But I think that they're both, you know, equally, you know, comparable, um, sure. great, wonderful. Um, but I think the only difference is, you know, my, I, from what I understand, Pueblo is a little more rural and, you're not near, you know, conveniences as that as, sure. as much as in Monterey, we were right in the middle of the city. It was wonderful. We were right in the middle of the city. It was awesome for my husband because he is, he's, he, he can't sit still. He's very, you know, he's a military guy, you know, type A, you know, so to have him sit still in, in an apartment in Mexico for 28 days, I knew it was going to be a struggle, Sure, but, <laughs> but, and him not being the sick one, you know, so, but it was wonder. It's a wonderful experience for him because he was he wanted to help. You know, and his way of helping is doing something, going and getting something or whatever. So he was able to walk to the Mexican grocery store every day, he'd go and he'd get us. You know, whatever things is mostly really. We felt like it was very American. You know, all the you know conveniences you you'd want. You know, so if you want convenience, that sort of thing. Sure. Monterey would be it, you know, but it, it definitely helped him because he could stay active, you know, it wasn't in, I, I don't know much about Puebla, but, but I understand that your conveniences. So, so we would have to shop for our own food in um, Puebla. They provide it for you. They make your food for you. So that's the difference. I guess they have a cafeteria and, you know, and everybody, you know, and they make your food for you. Which, I mean, I thought actually, at first I thought that was going to be a, you know, that that was going to be a, a negative, but it actually wasn't because it gave us a lot of flexibility. Sure. You know, you could eat more of so, what you wanted. Yeah. So you asked, you asked me what, yeah. if I had any advice for anybody. Yeah. Um, I see, th- I think my same mantra of that I had decided years ago with MS that I was not, I was going to avoid stress. And how do you avoid stress? You don't, I, nobody knows the future, right? Nobody knows, nobody can tell the future. We can try, but we can't tell the future, but you have to take risks. You have to take risks and you have to kind of, you know, and with this disease, you cannot, you cannot stress yourself out. So what is stress? It's, it's, it's a choice that you make and you can make the choice not to stress, you know, um, um, for an example, you know, for an example, when I would get a symptom and this was an experience I had with my husband, cause he started, you know, researching the disease early on and, you know, and we, we got the hang of it. Like, okay, you get a symptom and then, you know, like, is it a, is it a, is it progression or is it an old symptom just flaring up and, and et cetera. But every time I would get a new symptom, you know, I used to 
early on, I used to like freak out and be like, oh my gosh, you know, no, it's a new symptoms. Oh no, what am I going to do? You know, um, it's the end of the world. But I adapted, I adapted this, this, uh, this system where I was just sort of like, okay, when I get a new symptom, I'm going to state it. I'm just like, like matter of fact, and you know what? But my reaction, I can control like, okay, I'll acknowledge. I, so I can't see out of my right eye. Okay. And so I would say this to my husband and be like, you know, it, it didn't happen for that symptom this way, but I would say, Oh, well, you know, I, I, I lost vision in my, in my right eye. It sounds kind of funny, but he, he, for a while, it took him a little while to come around, but he would be like, I can't believe you're not upset that you got this new symptom. Right. Cause I would just tell myself, oh, I'm not going to get upset about it. Just not going to, I mean, yeah, I mean, is it acknowledge? Okay. I've got it. Okay. But you know what? So what? Let me acknowledge it. But why do I have to freak myself out about it? Because what does that do? Doesn't help me. Right. You know, what you resist so. persists. Say it again. What you resist persists. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I've never heard that before. Right. The more what you, you resist. It, yeah persists. Wow. And so as you stress about it, as you try to fight it, as you try to tamp it down or bury it or resist it, it will continue. Yeah, go with the flow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, yeah, and I think that would throughout the treatment too, because some of my treatment was a little bit of a surprise. You know, I had, I had educated myself about the whole process of it, but there were some surprise, some surprises, you know, I had, I had told myself I was going to get this pick line, you know, and I, you know, it psyched myself up like, okay. And that was kind of scary for me. And I was thinking, I don't know, I'm going to get this thing in my neck. Oh no, this is, you know, this, and that's going to really hurt. And they have to do it surgically and all this stuff, you know, and I, and, but I had talked myself into, okay, by the time I had gotten to Mexico, I was like, okay, I can handle this. But then I got thrown a, a curveball that I didn't expect. And they were like, oh, you have really good veins. Guess what? You don't need a pick line. I was like, what? Interesting. <laughs> so I ended up, I had to lie there for my, my uh, stem cell harvest took three and a half hours. Um, but I had to lie there perfectly still without moving my arms because I had IVs in both arms. That's how they did mine. Fascinating. So, but that so you was. didn't get a jugular catheter. No, no, I didn't get that. And like I was. And they, they were telling me beforehand, oh, it, it's better, it's better, it's better. Yeah, well, you know, it actually wasn't better. <laughs> right. But that roll with roll with the punches or, you know, whatever, whatever you resist, persist thing, you know, that that came into play there because, yeah, you know, I, because I get muscle spasms in my arms. Mm. And that sitting there for three and a half hours ended up being, it got very painful because my muscle spasms and I couldn't move. So it did, it was difficult, you know, so I had to, you know, use my meditative uh, practice to really kind of to say, okay, I can get through this, you know, Yeah. and my reaction is going to make it worse. I sit here and moan and groan about it. If I sit here and focus on that, it's just going to be worse. I have to get through this. There's no choice, you know? Well done. So... So, yeah, I think that is, that is, that is my number one thing, you know, just roll with it, you know, go with it. Would you say, you know, that, do your research? 
Yeah, well, absolutely, because that helps you do your research. But once you yeah, but once you once you've decided, go with it and just understand that it's gonna be a journey, you know, and your reaction is going to shape your journey. Right? That's the truth. What about a superpower that you gained during through your experience with HSCT? That is a very good question. So it's funny you should say it because if you know me on social media, my actual, my, my nickname is blonde wonder woman. So, I love <laughs> so it. that plays into it. <laughs> yeah. There's a story behind that. I'm a writer actually. And there's that on my Instagram, uh, blonde wonder woman. I actually have it attached on there. I wrote an article for a magazine about that very thing. Um, why I'm blonde wonder woman. And it's kind of a, a name I've, I've adopted through my disease because I love, first of all, I love Wonder Woman. Come on. Yeah. You know, like I love Wonder Woman. Who does not love Wonder oh, Woman? Oh my gosh. Like, all the superheroes, right? She's the best. I just, I'm sorry, but. In a non-violent but, way, right? Like. Oh, in a non-violent how amazing way. amazing is that golden All lasso. her. Oh my gosh. All her superpowers are the best. Come on. Let's, let's think about it. You know, and I think a lot of people don't know. Like you were just going to say that the golden lasso, you know, do you know what that golden lasso does? That's actually my superpower that I love. Oh yeah. So you, if you remember the eighties version, well, of yeah, I watched Woman, enough. Right? Okay. I, well, that's when I watched it. Sure. Growing okay. Up. Okay. Okay. So the golden lasso it is actually the lasso of truth is mm. the name of it. The lasso of truth. And if you remember in the, you know, the, was that the eighties that show in the eighties Yes. where she, you know, Linda Carter, she would put the lasso around somebody and it compels them to tell the truth Yeah. and makes them tell the truth. And I love that because all of her superpowers are all so very like, they're not, Oh, yay, I can fly. Yeah, she right. can fly, but she can do all these other things too, right? Yeah, you know, right. but she, she has some serious superpowers, but that's my favorite there. The lasso truth. And I think that that is my superpower I've gained in finding out the truth of this. You know, I feel as we go forward with this, you and I both have had HSCT. And I think as, as warriors, I think we should, we should continue the journey in trying to find out the truth here. You know, the truth about our disease, the truth of what will help our what will really help people, patients, because I don't think that the American medical system is actually trying to find that. That's my personal opinion. Mm. There's a lot of um, factors that are getting in the way of finding the truth. Or even just promoting awareness of what might be helpful. What might be helpful, but then the, the roadblocks, you know, I think, I mean, why is it? You tell me, why is it that it's not on the lips of our, our neurologists. Why are they not suggesting it to us? Right. And there's lots of arguments to that, but if you really get down to it, like the reasons are money, you know? Well, yeah. Why why aren't the results from Dr. Burt's randomized trial that show 98% effectiveness, even, even at 72% effective five years out, tell me why Mm -hmm. that's not enough. Why are the the current clinical trials testing a more severe, harsh protocol than Dr. Burt's? Why isn't Dr. Burt's protocol that isn't as stressful on your body 
Yeah. Why isn't well, that did, what's being repeated and tested in all of these you new know, trials? I asked I asked the doctor in, in Mexico that very question. You want to hear what he said? I do want to hear what he said. <laughs> he said, and I mean, it's logical. He said that these are hematologists, oncologists, and it's what they know. They, ha- they do myeloblative, the right. myeloblative for cancer. So that's just what they know. Sure. And that's, they go with what they know. And that's that. That's a great and answer. And that's the sad thing. Yeah. It's the sad thing about it is that is our medical system. Doctors are in another world that we can't even touch. They're in a different, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're doing things for different reasons that we can't understand. Yeah. That actually, when you look at it, the whole picture, it's very sad. It's very sad that they're not necessarily out to reach the patient because they're under so many criteria that they have to meet right. just to do what they have to do. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like I told you, I, I have come a long way. I was bitter at first about the, the Chicago trial. I sure. was, and I think rightly, rightly so. Absolutely. Rightly so. Yeah. So what are you grateful for about HSCT that has gone unspoken? Um, I guess I'm, I'm, I am most grateful for how smooth the experience so far has gone. You know, it's gone so smooth for me. The, my expectations for just going through HSCT, I had geared, like I said, I'd geared myself up for being so sick and I was willing to do that. But my experience was actually the opposite. It was so wonderful. wonderful. And I felt so good that I was like, whoa, did, did I really get the treatment? Because I right. feel pretty good. Right. <laughs> like I'm like, as often I was feeling that way, but how smooth, how smooth it's gone and how, how I didn't have to worry about anything when I was in Mexico and could, my, could put my full trust in the doctors there. Something I've never gotten in the United States and something you need when you go through an experience like oh. this. Yeah, just so. that support and trust is amazing mm-hmm. to experience. I'm so glad you found it. Yeah, thank you. Oh, and I'm just so glad you had such a positive experience and you continue to advocate for HSCT. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, we have to we have to keep going. We have to and we have to all have to do our our piece. That's just I'm always been in service of others in everything that I do. You know, I think I'm disabled now. I'm not teaching anymore, but you know, I've come to terms. I don't know if you're retired yet or not, but I'm, I'm retired disabled, but I, you come to a mindset where you're just like, cause you attached yourself to your occupation, you know? And so there's that morning of what will you do with your life? You know, what is the meaning of your life after retirement? Right. Sure. You know, what are you doing? But I, I have, I have learned that, you know, mine is service to others. And does that stop because I'm disabled? No. Does that stop because I've now had a HSCP for myself? No. I mean, I will look, I will continue to look for ways to help other people along their own journey. And I think that's a lifelong purpose for myself. So wonderful. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you for that service. Thank you. Thank That's you. That's all for, we can do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and just thank you for even supporting others in their journey along the way to HSCT and helping to fundraise. I wish you all the best with those efforts. 
Thank you. Same to you all. You are wonderful, and I hope you guys keep going. And you helped me quite a bit, and I know you will help tons of other people. I'm so glad to have helped you, and I'm so glad to have shared your story here on the podcast. Thank you so much, Tamara. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.com where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources in the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Alitzauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. It's been so great to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well. John Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained in the podcast. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician.